As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. Find insight, build it into a story, and that will reduce your neediness, give you something the investor wants and needs, and now you can start to control the presentation. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guest, I want to mention FundNet Flip because FundNet Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on uh, or the main two things are the deal and the money. Uh, So if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, So go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Farrell, and we've got a special treat for you. We have a, a guest whose book I'm obsessed with right now. It has completely changed my philosophy and how I approach speaking to investors and speaking to potential podcast sponsors and speaking to any type of, of potential client. And I've already uh, started implementing some of the, the tips that I've learned in this book. And really quick, if you're new to the show, this show is all about helping you move your real estate investing business forward. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank. We've spoken to Robert Kiyosaki from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and many other successful real estate investors or professionals like today's guest who is an investor as well as someone who can certainly help us with our real estate investing business. So with that being said, we have Mr. Oren Claff as our best ever guest. How are you doing, Oren? Hey, Joe. Doing well. Uh, 
I assumed you called me a special treat because it's Halloween, but otherwise, uh, I don't really um, allow people to refer to me as a treat. <laughs> well, now you're forcing me to air it before Halloween or around Halloween. I was going to hold this puppy to like Christmas or something, but now you force my hand. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, as long as it's a holiday, I'll run around with a Christmas hat. And, <laughs> you know, as long as I'm uh, making money, you know, let's wear the hat. In addition to running around with many, many different hats on, Oren has a very successful investing career in, in, in raising money. He has raised over $400 million from investors. He's the author of Pitch Anything, P-I-T-C-H Anything. And uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about his book and the reason why he wrote it. And then specifically, what we're going to talk about on today's segment, and this is a special segment of the show called Skill Set Sunday. So we're going to talk about the specific skill of how to start out the conversation when you're speaking to investors. So basically, how do you get the opening right? Because that is going to establish the, you know, the, the framework for the rest of the conversation. So um, that's a skill that you're going to come away with. How do you get the opening right? And with that being said, Orrin, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and uh, the book Pitch Anything? Yeah, sure. So my background is flying to some random city in the United States, going up a large office tower, going into a boardroom at the side of some freeway, walking into a room with some grumpy old white men in it, and uh, and they go, remind us why you're here. And I go, didn't you read my deck? You guys invited me to pitch a hotel. You invited me to pitch an airport. You invited me to pitch um, a movie theater. And they go, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I remember. What's your name again? I go, well, it's Oren Claff. And they say, oh, why don't you start at the beginning, which means we didn't read anything you sent us. And <laughs> from that point, I have to regain their attention. They're grumpy. It's the end of the day. They're seeing lots and lots of real estate deals. And I got to get them excited about my deal. And when you do that over and over, fly to a city, go into a boardroom at the edge of some freeway, you can barely remember where you are and you pitch a deal and you do it over and over and over again, and you successfully raise money, and sometimes you fail, you start to see some of the most revealing elements of human nature in deal making, right? And I got a long list of them, but I can give you some that you'll resonate with. People want what they can't have, right? Investors want what they can't have. People chase that which moves away from them, and they only value that which they pay for. So those are some of the fundamental elements of the human animal in deal making. And, and if you learn how to start to position your pitch, your presentation, your offering in the way that human beings respond to things, then your hit rate, your close rate, the amount of capital that you raise starts to go way up and it goes up fast. So as I got better at framing my deals in terms of you know, these three behaviors, people want what they can't have, right? And so being more careful about how I offer a deal. And then we can talk a little bit about that today. But I started to be able to frame deals in these ways and, and my conversion rate, if you want to call it that, went way up. And I went on a run, raised a couple hundred million dollars of capital pretty quickly. People started recognizing uh, how much capital was flowing in and how fast. And then you know, someone introduced me to McGraw-Hill and they asked for a book. And that's how the book came about. But it's born of these experiences of getting on the phone or walking to a room, pitching a deal and seeing how people react to it. When you walk in the room, the grumpy old men look at you and they say, remind me why you're here again. What do you do next? Oh, yeah. So great question. One thing I try and do is not say the obvious. 
Well, uh, Mr. Johnson, I really appreciate you inviting me in here. If you recall, I know you through Joe, and he recommended me in the podcast, and we thought we might get together, and I should I don't say that, right? I might be more likely to say, why don't you remind me why you're here? I let you take this meeting with me, all right? <laughs> okay, and I meet with billionaires. I meet with guys who run Catterton, TPG, TA, you know, guys who run billion-dollar funds. And so you can do that. Now, you have to relax a little bit. can't be too intense and, and, and psycho serial killer. But I can say, oh, that's a great question. Why don't you remind me while you're here and I let you meet with me? Okay, so now we're on even par. Listen, we all agreed that you guys are investing in the asset class that I represent. We thought we might get together for a few minutes. Why don't we do this? Rather than you tell me about the fund, you know, I have Wikipedia. I understand what you guys are doing. I'll pitch you the current asset that we have. It takes about 12 minutes to get through it. Then I'll let you, I'll let you have some time to ask some questions and see if our circles overlap. And if they do, we'll figure out how to move forward. Sounds good. Let's roll. That's how I would respond to it. So you're, you're initially shaking up the framework by not responding to what they think you would respond to or as, and then you're kind of becoming the alpha by saying, I'll, why did I let you meet with me? I can't remember if you refer to it as alpha in the book or not, sure. but I know you, you talk about different frames. Sure. Well, I think what I want to make sure, this is a good mythology or way to think about you know, humans. So in a, in a human interaction, we, someone's the alpha and someone's the beta. And this is sort of the nature of things. There's not a ton of parity, right? We're not dating. Uh, we're not out for a romantic dinner. We have a deal. They have money. We're trying to get something closed. They are skeptical about where they want to give the money. We're very positive about our asset and the quality of it. And this is a somewhat adversarial position. We want their money. They want to protect their money. And so someone in this relationship, at least at the start, is going to be alpha and a beta, okay? I want to make sure I'm not the beta. Right. And so because what do betas do, Dave? when the alpha says stand up, they stand up. When the alpha says sit down, they sit down. When the alpha says I have to take a phone call, the beta waits around. The, uh, when the meetings start late, the beta says, OK, no problem. I'll readjust my day. So I don't want to be the beta. I want to be the alpha, but I don't want to be over the top. Right. This is not Donald Trump meets investors because people don't like that. Right. But I think you can be the alpha in a way that is smooth, calm and reassuring. And the way I just said to you is, you know, most investors that I have experience with, when you do it that way, they go, great, I'm in the hands of a professional. I, the investor, can sit back, listen to a professional pitch that is structured the way I'd like to look at deals, and I can relax and hear what's going on, right? And so the alpha investor is happy to get to be in the beta position for a while. Right. Because it's, it's tiring to be the alpha, always in control, always managing what people think, how to do things. Right. And so he's happy to be the beta if he's in the hands of a professional. So so that's how I think about those relationships. When you talk about being smooth, calming and reassuring, I know in the book you also mentioned being playful. How important is that in this dynamic and kind of having fun with it? Is that necessary or can you be smooth, calm and reassuring and not have kind of the playful element that you've already referenced in your example where you said, why don't you remind me why you're here and, and I let you meet with me? So, right. And, you know, it's funny, Joe, I look at your website, I look at your photo on Skype, you know, you look like a 16 year old young man just starting his way out in the world. Um, but, you know, obviously I shave now, actually. Shaved. But the reason I say that is 
This is a very sophisticated question. I do hundreds of these interviews and other people haven't asked it in this way. And it's really sort of leading me into fresh new thinking. So I, I appreciate that line of inquiry. You're doing an awesome job. So, you know, here's the way I think about it. You can be more intense. You can be more aggressive. You can have more tension in the relationship if you counterbalance it with a playful, humorous, fun side. Think about it for a minute. You know, we know these archetypes that go in heavy handed, very aggressive, over the top, right? And they never give up. And you just feel like you want to take a shower after you've been pitched by those guys, right? It just mm-hmm. feels salesy, right? But if you have the other side where you can back off and you can actually take, you know, be the alpha for a little bit and then take the beta position, be self-deprecating yourself, it works. So the more intense you want to be, the more you have to be able to be humorous, playful, funny, and relaxed. And so these, when you switch between these characters, it's actually quite fun for the audience. What is not fun is if you're, you know, you take sort of pitch anything or this interview the wrong way and you just go in over the top, aggressive, never stopping, you know, go, go, go. If you have the fun, playful, interesting side, then it works terrific. So if you want to be intense, work on your playful side as well. How much of it comes naturally and how much of it is just hours of practice? Because thinking of that dynamic in, in my mind, at least right now, because I haven't you know, been practicing an extensive amount in what you've talked about. I just finished reading it about two weeks ago and that's why I reached out to you because I had to talk to you on the show. How much of it is kind of performance versus something that is hardwired? All right. Let me answer this in two ways. One is it's, you know, if you look at my bookshelf, books like Save the Cat, which is on, um, you know, writing a, a narrative for like a movie script, it's uh, writing for comedy, writing for humor. I go to, when I can, to, you know, comedy clubs and I'm working on a stand-up program and I have, I've hired writers for jokes, you know, just to make in a pitch. It, it's real work to build that humor side because otherwise your jokes can fall flat. Right. So it's real work. But I think what I'd like to key off of is what you said is your pitch is a performance. Now, a meeting should last, you know, about an hour. But there is a part of that meeting that is the pitch. If you're pitching for an hour, there is no way you're doing a good job. I can't pitch for an hour. Right. The span of human attention is 20 minutes. The important thing is to be pitching during that 20 minutes. All right. And then once, you know, investors or buyers are just burnt out, they can't think about your your asset, you know, whether it's self-storage, whether it's a, a, a multi-tenant uh, apartment, whether it's a hotel, whether it's office, whether it's mixed use. Right? They just can't think about it anymore. And that span is about 20 minutes. So the amount of time that you're actually pitching, describing the asset, the upside, the downside, the big idea, the market demographics, um, what the key assumptions are underwriting the asset, the, uh, you know, what your track record is, what the pro forma is, what the bookends on the IRR and the ROI are over time with the exit strategies that cannot take longer than 20 minutes. And it's probably should only take as long as you can be compelling, give a compelling performance. Your pitch should be a performance. If it's not, you got to work on it. No. What would you say to, and I know this is going to be a fun answer. What would you say to someone who who says, well, it shouldn't be a performance. It should be 
a conversation that comes naturally and is genuine versus feeling like you're uh, on stage. Yeah, good luck. I know. Right? I knew I knew it was coming. I, I set myself up. I knew it was coming. <laughs> Let me summarize this. Do not be yourself. Yourself is not good enough. Um, right. Before you get too excited about that, let me explain. You know, for many people listening, yourself, myself, you know, we go to a new investor and they've got providers of real estate that have performed for them. And they're getting an 8% IRR or a 10% ROI or a 7%. You know, if it's ground leases, maybe they're at 4 to 6%. If they're doing sort of condo development in tertiary areas, maybe they're getting 14 or 15% yield. But anyway, they have a, a, a REIT or a provider or a partner that they're buying real estate from, right? And in general, real estate, there's more supply than demand for investors, right? And, and so what you're doing is you're asking them to stop buying because they have limited, you know, financial assets. They've got, they've got a fund that they're deploying, right? So you're asking them, hey, stop using one of your regular providers of real estate deals and start using me with whom you have no track record or experience and believe the things I'm saying about my market, about my asset, about my underwriting, and about my pro forma, right? And in order to do that and convince someone to stop using one of their existing relationships and start using you, right, is a very special kind of communication. And it is not something you just made up in your head or winged it. There is a structure to convincing someone to switch out of what they're doing now and start investing with you, right? Now, in some ways, that structure is just yield, right? So if you're offering a similar asset, similar underwriting, not as good track record, you've got to bump the yield, right? So they normally get uh, you know, an, an 8% yield and you're offering a 10 and a half that could attract somebody. But when you offer a higher yield, you're giving away a lot of your margin. So really the question in my mind is how do you offer somebody a similar yield to what they're getting and have them open up a new business relationship with you and leave behind someone they're already working with, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's the special sauce. That's the special sauce. And there's a structure for that. And I'm not sure we can do the whole structure today. I try not to be too promotional, Joe, but if you do, you go over to pitchanything.com, you can get a lot of this stuff and I can help. But, you know, maybe I could give you a couple intros to real estate deals and you can understand at least some of the structure. Uh, and and I, I can give you some intros to deals that are real, you know, I've put in the market and I've closed money on, you know, specifically in real estate, you know, if you, if you want to go that direction. But it's your show. You're a good guy. By the way, if you weren't, if you weren't a good guy, I'd be mean to you. <laughs> I, I can't I don't have it in my heart today well I appreciate that really quick on the special sauce and yeah I, I would like to go over you know and hear hear some those two deals or one or whatever we have time for on that special sauce I mean what is one thing to keep in mind you don't have to go through the whole the whole shebang but just one thing to keep in mind on how can you offer something similar with yield but still differentiate yourself so that you're appealing as the alternative option so I feel like the number one mistake that people make, you know, in the first five years of real estate, I think after five years, it starts to come naturally, right, is missing out on the narrative. So they open up with a storyline that doesn't have an, a big idea behind it, right? So they open up with, hey, we have a mixed use multifamily uh, location in a a tertiary market, although it's infill and it has a you know track record of uh, you know three percent rent bumps 
in a infill area with 98% occupancy. There's just a lot to chew on on an opening, mm-hmm. right? And so what I like to do is drop back and open up with an idea. An idea is not how good I am. It's a not how great the asset is. It's some, it's some fresh thinking about what's going on here. Right. Uh, so, you know, one way to think about open up with an idea is the difference between Fox News and uh, NPR. Do you ever listen to NPR? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, if you compare how two stories might go on Fox News versus NPR, on Fox News, they say the price of coffee is going to increase dramatically over the next two weeks, along with the price of gas, because in Western uh, Africa and along the Nile, there has been a mosquito outbreak and villagers are catching, you know, Ebola at an increasing rate, making the cost of migrant workers much higher. The cost of coffee, you're going to see an increase. Emergency alert, Starbucks stock to go down 1% over the next three weeks, right? That's sort of a Fox News narrative. If you hear that same story on NPR, you know, it starts off like this, chirp, chirp. I'm in the Okavango swamp. Splash. <laughs> Splash. Pitter patter. It's raining. It's a foggy day. There should be hundreds of villagers along the Nile here waiting for the boat to pick them up. But the boat captain has malaria. Not only is it the boat captain, but thousands of villagers here in deepest, darkest Africa are affected. Where should these villagers be? I'll show you next. Right? So, so. <laughs> You see the yeah, I, there's clear difference, right? One yeah. brings you into a narrative and a story, right? The other, you know, is just assailing you with data, right? And the the what I like to do at the beginning of a presentation, because the you know you start a presentation with an investor, and at the beginning he's he's still he's not calmed down, he's still thinking about the fight he just had with his wife, the the uh, capital call he just got on a deal. The, he's doing his own capital raising, you know, and trying to raise money. Uh, some taxation issues that have come. I still think, you know, where he's going to go on vacation. His kid didn't get into Harvard, whatever it is. He's got all this stuff swimming in his head. And if you just attack him with ROI, IRR, infill, and a bunch of data, it's just too much on top of too much. So I try and start with an idea, right, to suck him into our world and get him interested in the story about what's going on. And give me an example, you know, of, of an idea like that, you know, if you're interested, but, um, yeah. Is that the airport yeah, one the from airport your book? One, yeah. I can give you the airport one from the book. And, and, you know, if you want to see a real estate deal sold in a narrative format, in a way that brings investors in slowly and gets them excited about a project a little bit over time and have them eat out of your hand, it's the, it's the last chapter in the book is really a case study of how I did that on a huge uh, deal. And so, you know, again, you just get pitchanything.com or, or go to Amazon and buy Pitch Anything and you get that whole case study. Uh, it's awesome. You know, but but I, might, I might do it this way. So, so listen, Joe, in the next decade, the city of San Diego will have too many commercial flights coming into its airports and not enough runway. San Diego is one of the busiest and most complex airspace regions in the United States. 22 million passengers are projected, you know, by 2020. The San Diego needs additional general aviation services and amenities on an adequate runway in a central location, and here's why. It's the second busiest single runway airport in the world, behind only London Gatwick, right? And there's 20s of millions of passengers that uh, eat in-plane and deplane San Diego uh, every year, and it is completely at capacity. There's just an increasing you know, demand for runway space of aviation services in San Diego. And as demand increases, private, charter, and corporate aircraft, well, they have to go somewhere else. 
right? There's not even ground parking at San Diego Airport for private aircraft like the one I know you, uh, you fly or will be flying soon. So, so general aviation, charter aircraft, your private jet needs somewhere to go. But where can they go, right? If they can't go to San Diego Airport, the next viable airport for them to go is in North County. It's over 40 miles away, right? It's pretty far from San Diego's commercial centers. So what are you going to do? Well, there happens to be one runway. It's undeveloped at Metropolitan Air Park. It's about 10 miles east of downtown San Diego, but it's well-located. And by doing a little bit of build-out on this runway – all the charter aircraft that are being pushed out of San Diego Airport will have somewhere reasonable to land. If you owned aviation services at this runway, right, you'd be in the path of growth and have a, a multi-hundred million dollar air park within five years. This presentation is about our business building that air park. Okay, so you know, just reading it off the, off the top of my mind from memory, but that is something that is in a narrative format. It's not too much detail and it brings you in, wants to learn more. It's a big idea. It's not about what we have, our project, our ROI. Uh, it's about things that are changing in the market and how you can possibly make money and that you're going to get a presentation on something important. So if you can get a big idea characterized like this without diving into your project, I think you accomplish more like an NPR opening than you do a, um, a Fox News. I love it. I, I love it so much. And this is, I also want to be respectful of, of your time and uh, the best ever listeners. And this has been just a phenomenal conversation. I want to ask one last question, and that is the skills that you've talked about, how do you acquire them? And, and what's like the next step that listeners should take to actually practice this stuff? Yeah. So, so here's what I think. Step one to let you get control of these presentations is to figure out a way to start it that opens up with this big idea, right? It's high stakes. It's economic. It's a narrative format. It is not self-aggrandizing. It's not about your deal. And it characterizes change that is happening in the market that's important. So that's one. That will allow you to open up a presentation without neediness because you have something awesome, right? You've got a great story. It's interesting to listen to, and you're delivering new, insightful information about an important part of the market. When you have that, you're not as needy as you otherwise would be because you have something the investor wants and needs, which is information and insight. So find insight, build it into a story, and that will reduce your neediness, give you something the investor wants and needs, which is insight, and now you can start to control the presentation. Love it. Start with the narrative, characterizes change, and um, then everything filters from there. Because as you said early in our conversation, people want what they can't have. They chase what moves away and they value what's difficult to obtain. If you got a new idea and a new narrative that sucks them in, then you're, you're not a commodity comparing against other companies on yield. You're much higher level, similar to the airport example in your book where I believe you focused on uh, legacy, right. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so it's not about numbers, although, believe me, we've got the numbers covered. And we'll talk about that later. But really, this is much deeper than that. Uh, and you really tie into the human emotions in a smooth, calm and reassuring way. And also something that you mentioned before that I really love is you can be more intense and more aggressive in the relationship if you counterbalance it with a playful, humorous, fun side. So I, I think you can you know, play those two angles 
But as you mentioned in the book many times, you've got to practice it because if you go in just trying to do this on, on your first big pitch without practice, then it's not going to end up well. And your book has really changed how I approach things. And it's dangerous. Your, your book is actually dangerous because if you don't practice it before you go in, these principles are so powerful, then it's like going in, you know, trying to shoot a rabbit with a bazooka. And you can't do that. You've got to kind of hone your skills before you do this. And that's why, you know, I'm such a fan of, of your approach and, you know, the insights that you, you get from it. So thank you so much, Oren. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to mention to the best ever listeners before we sign off? Yeah, I mean, I think I have, uh, you know, if you want to see me giving a pitch, right, I have a, how do I find this link? I have a pitch that I give beginning to end so you can see me doing it with the perfect structure. Right? Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I think if you go to, go to pitchanything.com and just register and we will send you me giving the perfectly structured pitch. Now, I give it for a mop. Right. So it's not complicated. So you can focus on the structure and not what the product is. But the same structure that, that, you know, the way I give it to use a mop will sell a multi-tenant facility. It will sell an airport. It's the structure, not the content. So that's something that I think is really worth doing is to see a pro give a well-structured pitch that you can start to copy. Oh, absolutely. So if you just register on pitchanything.com, your email will there be an automated email that sends it? Yeah, there'll be an automated email that sends it and you'll get out. It's a six minute pitch, six minutes start to finish everything. The big idea, the problem, what's changing, the solution, the upside, the downside, the ROI, the team, the plan, the milestones and what the bookends are on the financial returns. Everything in six minutes or less. It's pretty good. Wow. All right. And I want to do something special for you, Oren, and the best ever listeners. For the first five best ever listeners who just tweet out their favorite quote, from this episode, I'm going to buy you a book, the, the book Pitch Anything, and I'll, I'll send that to you because there aren't enough people that could have this. I mean, this is just a phenomenal approach and I'm it's incredibly refreshing. So I appreciate you spending time with us and, and kind of talking through this as well. Great. Thanks, Joe. Well, let's do it again. All right. Thanks, Warren. Okay. Yep. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Okay, here's a no-brainer. Since you're a real estate entrepreneur, you know that selecting a health insurance plan is a real pain and dealing with the whole process is a pain. That's why I've partnered up with Stride Health and they make the whole process really easy and they have a personal concierge service for you to help you out they've got a fancy algorithm that helps find the right health plan just for you and on average they can save you 400 bucks a year and it only takes 10 minutes go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever that's s-t-r-i-d-e-h-e-a-l-t-h.com forward slash best ever